New Year's resolutions. I'm sure nobody here knows what those are and nobody's ever tried one. <laughs> new Year's resolutions. The purpose behind a New Year's resolution is, okay, as soon as the New Year rolls around, I'm going to make this commitment to do this thing. And it's going to be great because I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to finish this thing or I'm going to make it part of my lifestyle. <clears throat> and it's never going to change. And that always works. And, you know, New Year's resolutions always last more than two weeks. At least they're supposed to. I'll put it that way. Uh, I remember like talking to one person who said, yeah, I'm going to make a New Year's resolution. I think this was back in like 2017. I'm going to change my diet and eat healthier in 2017. This is going to be awesome. And like December 2016 comes around. They're like seeing all this good food around like, okay, 2018, 2018. It's going to be great. Diets are happening. It's awesome. The idea of resolutions implies that I'm going to change something and it's going to become a permanent change or it's going to become like something that will fix something in my life and it's going to be great. <clears throat> what do believers do with resolutions? Like how should we view them? Uh, I'm going to reflect on something Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you just go to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to dwell a little bit on Ephesians 4 as well, but I'm mostly going to focus on a couple of verses in uh, chapter 5. <clears throat> so Ephesians chapter 5, the kind of the key pinnacle point of this whole thing is in verse 10, which simply says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. You can take that verse and read it for itself. It's like, I have no idea what that means. So verse 10 is kind of where it's all at. <clears throat> but if you start over, sorry, my voice is still <clears throat> a little crummy from a couple weeks ago when I was sick. So anyway, point is, uh, verse 10 is kind of the pinnacle. But if you start back in verse 1, Ephesians 5.1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet swelling aroma. The fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Verse 8, for you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. There's that kicker verse. And I think verse 11 is probably where I'll finish. And I have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. <clears throat> so to summarize what Paul is talking about here, he is talking about who did you used to be? What kind of acts and deeds did like worldly people who are not following Christ, what did they used to do? And now what should you do? And what do you do as a follower of Christ? So if you look at verse one, uh, Ephesians 5, 1 says, therefore be imitators of God as dear children. What exactly does someone who's a child of God imitate? For those of you like Bible nerds out there, whenever it says therefore in the Bible, you have to find out what it's there for. Uh -huh, that's funny. So like go back to chapter four, the end of chapter four real quick. I'm just going to skim through it. <clears throat> of God. So if it's therefore, verse 25 says, therefore, 425 says, therefore, putting away lying, let each of you let each one of you speak truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as even as God in Christ forgave you. So tying that into, therefore, be imitators of God. Paul says in uh, chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, be imitators of God as to your children. What do imitators of God, i.e. children of God, what kind of things do they do? Well, Paul talks about things that we shouldn't do <coughs> as believers, and that's at year in verse 4. So he says, therefore, putting away lying. Lying is one. Be angry and do not sin. Sinning out of anger, that's another. <clears throat> Let him who stole steal no longer. So stealing, also things. He just goes to this short list of things that clearly, if you're a child of God and you're living in these things and doing them comfortably, something needs to be corrected. Either you're not a child of God or you really need to have an encounter with Jesus. Well, either way, you should have an encounter with Jesus. But point is, if you're doing all these things and living comfortably of it, you need to forsake those sins. Letting corrupt words come out of your mouth. He says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, grieving the Holy Spirit of God. I think it's safe to say all of these things <clears throat> will grieve the Spirit of God. And then 31 is kind of a kicker. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. It's kind of funny how Danae was talking about like bitterness and anger. God says, if you're my child, put those things away from you. That's not what children of God do anymore. So this lying, this stealing, all of that, Get rid of that. Be imitators of God as dear children. That's what he calls us to. And so now, <clears throat> therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. So the, the goal is to try to find out what do children of God do? Well, we don't know yet because Paul just said a bunch of stuff that we shouldn't do. So get rid of all those things. Therefore, be imitators of God. And verse 2, Ephesians 5, to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So if you look at that list of things that Paul just listed off, things that grieve the spirit, wrath, anger, bitterness, those things, simply put, are just not loving. The whole purpose and character of God's nature is love. That's what he does. He outflows love. There's one thing God wants people to know. It's that he loves them. His, his constant, compassionate, tender-hearted nature is to continually outflow towards others. It's exactly why Jesus came and died on the cross. It's exactly why... God longs to prosper us and not harm us. It's all from his love. It stems from that. So these acts like stealing, uh, lying, so on and so forth, is all just acts that are unloving. They're sinful, yes, but like the drive behind them is not out of love. God wants us to function out of love as dear children, children of God. That's what they do. So verse three, fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. <clears throat> Neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So the idea of fornication, I don't know what, well, I was studying this, but at first I didn't know why he like separates those three categories. Fornication, uncleanness, covetousness. Fornication, I mean, all of us know what that is basically, but like in Greek, it refers to a wide variety of sexual sins to include obviously like premarital sexual relations, homosexuality, bestiality, so on and so forth. It covers a wide variety of things. So yeah, fornication, Uncleanness kind of like hints around any acts or like things related to that large category of sexual deviance and sexual sins. And then covetousness, simply put, it's like me wanting something that I don't have, me desiring something that like my neighbor has or that I want that doesn't belong to me. All of these things are considered sin. In context of the passage, Paul is saying all of these things are also considered unloving. Verse four says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking or coarse jesting. And so the basic way to put that is he's also talking about like crude jokes, perverse humor, stuff like that. The point is, if we're children of God, which the large majority in this church are, Paul commands us to put those things away. Don't do those things. Why? 
not because children of God don't do these things. And it's a bad thing, a bad list of things you shouldn't do because, you know, you need to follow a list of rules as a child of God. That's not why. The goal is because these things are unloving. <clears throat> Paul says, don't do these things because they're not loving. They're not caring. They're not compassionate towards other people. And so hinting back on what I was talking about in verse 10, where Paul says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. If the Holy Spirit highlights one of these things in your heart, if the Holy Spirit shows you something you should change, I think the goal of every believer is to commit to following through with your identity as a child of God and just making the commitment to do what he's told you to do. Instead of saying, well, I'll change this thing at the beginning of the year, or I'll change this beginning, this thing like, you know, January one or next month or whatever. And it only lasts for a couple of weeks. Now, children of God are called to be resolute in their walk with the Lord. Does that mean we're called to be perfect? No, it doesn't mean that our goal is to be sanctified and to follow Paul as he followed Christ. The goal is to be as much like Christ as possible, which is kind of meant to be as perfect as possible, knowing that we'll never be 100% sin-free this side of heaven. But Jesus calls us to sanctification. He calls us to forsake anything in our hearts and our minds that interferes with our ability to love others well. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So rather than just saying, well, how about I make the commitment to do this next month, next year, whatever, 2024, this is going to be great. I'm going to be sanctified. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> just say, Lord, if you've shown me something in my heart, why don't I just commit to doing it now and making that part of my lifestyle right now, as opposed to setting a date where I can just walk in this sin up into that daytime, and then I'm going to be done sinning now. If the Lord shows you something in your heart now, forsake that thing now, walk as God has called you to. So that's the pinnacle in verse 10, where it says, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Again, that verse itself still doesn't make sense. So let me kind of finish here. <clears throat> so Ephesians 5, verse 5, for this, you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. There's that funny verse again. Let's just kind of tie things up. Verse 8, if you, I mean, you don't want to take any parts out of scripture, but if you like look at verse 8 and then skip from that to verse 10, it kind of makes that verse shine a little brighter. It says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And then verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So what do children of light do? They find out what is acceptable to the Lord. That's our life's goal. That's our resolution. When I became a Christian, my heart's desire and my want was to find out what is acceptable to the Lord. What things please the Lord? Now, clearly, Paul gave a list of things that don't please the Lord, like sexual related sins, crude joking, so on and so forth. And then like back in chapter four, he was talking about lying, uh, wrath, bitterness, so on and so forth. Clearly, those things do not please the Lord. But if the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your heart is goodness, righteousness, truth, that's what verse nine says, anything related to those topics is something that is acceptable to the Lord. Make sense? So the simple goal here for believers is to make our lives purpose about pleasing Jesus, doing things that are acceptable to him. It's not meant to be an exhaustive list of rules to follow. Where is your heart at? What is your heart to drive? If you're called to be a, ch a child of God, if in verse eight it says you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't just say you are light. He says you are light in the Lord. 
<clears throat> walk as children of light. If we are children of God, if we are children of life, our heart's bent is to do things that honor the Lord. Make that your resolution for life. Make that the thing I'm going to do from now on. If the Lord shows me something in my heart as I'm growing in sanctification, something I need to change, just commit to changing it, commit to repenting from it, commit to saying, I'm going to do this now. Try not to be like the guy at the gym who, well, it's not just one guy, there's plenty of them who get a New Year's like resolution. I'm going to go to the gym. This is going to be great January 1st. And then those people last for two weeks. And it's only annoying because they only take up all the gym equipment that I want to use. And then like they're gone a month later. It's like, great, I can have space again. Um, no offense to anybody who goes to the gym. The point is, don't make a short-term commitment or a lousy commitment to say, yeah, I'll do this thing, but if it doesn't really work out, I'm not going to follow through with it. If the Lord has called you to do something, be resolute. Find people in your sphere like of godly community that will help you in that walk, that'll help you with that struggle, that'll help you with that thing, whatever it may be. Commit to serving the Lord and live a life that is acceptable. Live a life that finds out what is acceptable and pleasing to Christ, because ultimately the goal of our faith is to one day just be face-to-face with Jesus. I've said this plenty of times in the past, and so I'll just say it again. I know that my heart's desire is to reach the end of my life and have the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I feel very confident, like everybody here, that's that's similar. We all want that same thing. We all want the Lord to say, I'm well done, you know, a good and faithful servant. We'd rather not reach the end of our life and have the Lord say, well, I mean, I love you and you're saved, but what were you doing down here? We want to make good use of the time the Lord has. Live lives that find out what is acceptable to the Lord. Amen? Amen. That's all I got. Tim was also going to share something, and then that's it for the morning. Cool. All right. Um, I picked a nice, easy topic. Um, I'm going to talk about humility. Yeah, so I mean, 30 seconds would be good. Um, first off, I feel like humility, we have a hard time defining, right? What is hum- humility? What, what is it to be humble? And um, so that's been fun to, to kind of pour over. Because um, one of the things we sometimes do when we think we're, we're trying to be humble is we're self-effacing and, right, I'm no good. I, I have no abilities. I'm worthless. And that's not humble. That actually has another technical name. It's called lie, falseness, deceit. Okay. It's not, that's not humility. Um, definition according to Webster is freedom from pride or arrogance, which was great because I, I thought looking at pride is a good way to contrast. You know, sometimes seeing the opposite is a good way to figure out what the, the positive is. Uh, but I also would like to call it the essential definition. I'm not sure of the difference. The quality or state of not thinking you are better than other people. And that felt like a pretty decent rule of thumb, a little, little gauge. Um, Pastor once shared, uh, and I would not take this as a solid everything. This is more of a, a fun <coughs> saying, but it also is a, a neat little litmus test for uh, encouragement. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, right? Pride is all about, what about me? I want to make sure I look good. I want you to know that I'm good. It's all, it's all me focused, right? And humility doesn't worry about me. Okay. And you to be careful because that can be taken too far. And again, start going to that um, self-effacing that wasn't the, the right point anyways. So let's start off with why that matters. Um, we'll move to that. Um, 
James 4.6, probably a good part of the room could quote this. I learned on Tuesday, I should not try to quote verses in public that I think I know really well. I write them down now. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Not such an easy verse. You can just skim right past it because all the words are easy. God resists the proud, gives grace, humble. Good, let's move on. But you stop and think about that. If you could have some influence, I'd rather Yahweh will push against you, resist you, hold you back, stop you, resist. That's a strong word, okay? A lot of military actions are called resistance. We, we think of resistance. I, I guess when I, when I lost past it, I think of as a little bit of a rub. You know, there was, there was resistance. It, it rubbed as I went by. No, no, no. Resist. Hold back. Do you want Yahweh to hold you back or to give you grace? And there's something that you can do to change, change which state here. And it makes that, that verse open up to, this isn't a gloss over easy words kind of thing. This is, this is, yeah, life and death, you know? So how can we be humble? Um, okay, kind of back to definition. I want to mention, because uh, I want to Bible on this. Romans 12, 3. Not uh, Paul talks, um, and he's giving advice here, um, instruction, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment. I feel like that gives good bounds when you understand what it is, but it isn't enough definition by itself to me, right? Um, have sound judgment. The trouble is, a lot of times when we are, are judging where things are at, where we're at, um, right, we're, we're judging ourselves. And do we know what we don't know? Um, we may think that we're really good at doing something because it's not unhumble to say that you are good at doing something that you are good at, okay? It, it would be deceitful to not. Now, um, I added a little my my own. I, I think I think sharing the truth of what you are capable of when it's beneficial. Because if you just go around telling everybody how good you are at doing this one thing, and it's true, but all you're doing is just telling everybody because you want them to know, yeah, that was probably pride too, right? So when it's beneficial. Um, but sound judgment, it's really hard to have sound judgment about ourselves. Um, because there, there's, there's missing aspects, you know. Um, have you ever seen a friend maybe trying, for, trying to get into a position? Maybe they're trying for a job or, or a promotion or whatever, and, and they, they're going, they're, they're holding me back. I don't know. I've got the skills, and, and you know why. You, you see the missing skill. But they won't even listen to you to find out what's missing. Is that humility? So we should be humble just simply because um, the Bible says so. But uh, again, coming to the definition, sometimes it's helpful to see the effect um, so that we, we aren't just being self-effacing or, or putting ourselves down or something. So if you're trying to help someone and, and they're prideful, 
I've got it all. I've got what I, you know, they're not going to listen, right? You can't help them. That, that's where God's coming from. Can't help you if you won't let me in. You won't hear. Um, so that, that's one of the keys for us is we are being prideful when we can't hear those around us. Now, be careful. There's a bunch of ungodly people who give you all kinds of advice. But when we're humble, we need to be seeking godly counsel. We, we need to have that in our lives. Um, Richard talked about um, accountability, right? That's one of the things a humble person is willing to have accountability. And um, you know, we, can, we can look at the first on that, which I did not write down, but um, uh, confess your sins to one another. Good job accepting. <laughs> um, yes. Um, oh, I have a Colossians 2.18 about the, you know, to make sure we know we aren't supposed to just push ourselves and nothing. And um, is, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self um, abasement. Okay, because we do we do see a lot of, of telling us to not be prideful, to be humble. So I, I wanted to have that verse too that um, says that uh, we aren't supposed to just make nothing of ourselves. Um, okay, so I talked about correction, but, but teachability. Um, we had a, a trainer in, in work, and you know, he liked to talk about are you coachable? Uh, the prideful person thinks we think we're already there, you know, don't want to hear what you have to say. Uh, but the humble is coachable and can learn and can consider that maybe I don't have everything all figured out. Um, So I want, to th I want to think about our, our choice in this. Uh, I'm going to relate back to idea of being on time. I believe there's no such thing as on time, right? Because we get down to it, seconds, milliseconds, there's no such thing. We're, we're early or we're late. I don't think there's any way we can judge exactly where we are in anything. We're either overinflating ourselves or we are under um, and because of this, this blindness that we all have, um, I'm as good as I know that there is goodness to have type of a thing. Now, there's areas where we know we just, we just need work. But um, <laughs> I've, had, I've had times in my faith, um, okay, back to the story. I was a hiring uh, in a position, I was hiring someone. And uh, this guy was clearly not a good fit and didn't hire him. Talked to one of the other managers. He told the story afterwards. And he told him, I am the smartest person I know. I don't know why he didn't hire me. And the thing is, he might be, but that's more a statement of he needs to find some new people so that they are pushing him. Tad talks about he loves being around people who are better than him, better in prayer, better in witnessing. And because that pushes him to be better, right? If, if we find people who are all um, less skilled, less um, disciplined, all those things, we're going to lower our own standards and our own bars. Uh, so back to the, um, do we over, over inflate ourselves or under? Um, I'm taking it completely out of context, but verse really has to do with suing people. It says, why not rather be wronged 
than take your brother to court. Why, in, in the area of pride and, and humility, why not rather be fought less of, you know? Um, because the wisest person, let's say the wisest person in the whole world, who is prideful, how successful are they going to be with God resisting them? Versus the most humble person who really has nowhere near the skills that that person has with God giving them grace. So why not rather be, be, be seen as less and, and be humble before God, before others, before godly counsel, and, and be just drawing God's grace on ourselves? Um, it is fun to see the, the connections uh, this morning, including uh, Matt in our meeting was sharing a story about just really skilled um, person who was really gifted by God and really helped um, uh, raise up some, some different church movements. And truly God blessed that. And in his pride, he, he crashed and burned. And his, uh, I don't know the story well enough, I'm trying to tell it, but um, I bet you know dozens of stories that way, right? Why not not be skilled, not be gifted, not be wise, not be any of those things, and be humble first. Now, I'm not saying don't. Uh, I want to talk um, even, even wisdom. In uh, Matthew 10, 16, Jesus himself said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. So I'm not saying don't pray for gifts. But make sure you're seeking humility first. And when God gives you a gift, he gives you wisdom, um, all these things, remember that they were gifts from him and they're not of yourself. And even... We, we even go forward and go, look at me. It's all God, but we're still showing everybody how great we are because God is. But I'm great. Um, better to not be great than to, you know, than to, to be stuck in pride and have God's resistance. Um, again, pray for those gifts, but, but continue to seek humility. Um, I was pretty sure I had a great wrap-up. And I have no clue what that was. So I guess that'll be it for today. Um, thank you so much for joining us.